And uh, we are into week four of guardrails, and uh, we're going to get straight into it. And just let me, in case this is your first time tuning in, or in case you've forgotten, by the end of this series, you're going to know these statements off by heart. But a guardrail is a system designed to keep cars from straying into danger areas. And so we have guardrails, be it uh, where bridges are, so we don't go off the bridge, on corners, so we don't go off cliffs. Um, we have guardrails that run down the middle of our motorways so we don't have head-on accidents with each other. Guardrails are placed a little bit inside of the safety zone so that it, it's not right on the edge of what is dangerous because then you, know, you hit it, you're going to end up in danger anyway. So they put it a little bit inside the safety zone so if you do hit it, you've uh, still got space between you and danger. The other thing that they do is that they are designed to do minimal damage. In other words, it might put your car in the panel beaters, but it probably won't put you in hospital. And so guardrails are really important, but guardrails are something that we don't need just on roads, but we actually need in our own lives. We need guardrails in our own lives, in the safety area of our lives, so that when we drift or when we stray, we bump into them, and it should light up our conscience to say, hey, look, we're, we're about to go into a dangerous area and stop us from ending up in a place where we don't want to be. You see, guardrails are a standard that I want to live by so that if I drift towards danger, it lights up my conscience and it, and it reminds me to stay away. And the point of a guardrail is to be like a red flag to you, or a warning light, or a warning system, or to light up your conscience to stop you from hurting ourselves, but also to stop us from hurting others. See, the thing about guardrails that we've got to constantly remember as well is that guardrails that we have are actually for you, or for me. They're not something that you put upon others. What the standard that you want to live by is a standard that you hold to. It's not about us enforcing guardrails onto others. It's about setting up guardrails for our own lives. And I had some questions kind of going through my head this week as I started thinking about what I'm going to talk about this morning. And I had these questions. I, I, sometimes I wonder what I would have or own if I didn't know what everybody else owned. I wonder sometimes what stuff would I have if I didn't know what everybody else had. Sometimes I wonder what I would want if I didn't know what others had. You know, it's like, oh, oh, you've got a new iPhone. Oh, I want a new iPhone. There's nothing wrong with your old iPhone, but because you see somebody else has it, you want it. And the other thing I thought about is how much money would I have saved if I didn't know what you had spent your money on so that I could spare my money on. I also wonder how much more money would I have given away to people that had less than me if I didn't know what people have that have more than me. I've asked myself these questions and I've come to this conclusion. And I think it's a conclusion for all of us that I know too much about what others have that I don't have. I think the biggest problem is that I know too much about what others have that I don't have. And the problem with that information for you and for me, is that information actually makes us dangerously discontent. It lures me into the edge of financial ruin. It lures me into the edge of too much credit card debt. It lures me into decisions that later I'll regret. 
And, and what it does is it feeds the internal appetite that we all have for stuff. And the problem is, is that appetites are never fully satisfied because that's how appetites work. For example, you'll have dinner, yeah? And then 10 minutes later, you're at the fridge looking what else you can have. Why? Because appetites are never satisfied. That's the way that they work. They're always wanting more. And my appetites for stuff grows, and it's never satisfied. And so basically what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that I need counseling. And if I'm honest, I should probably book an appointment for you as well, because I think we all need it. So today, in case you didn't realize, we're talking about guardrails around your finances. And here's the thing, before we even get into this, I want you to understand something. God does not want your money. Every time we talk about money in church, we're like, oh, church wants your money. No, God does not want your money. God wants you, wants something for you in regards to your money. And, and as we get into this, you're going to see that, that Jesus, that God talks about money so much deeper than what we do. Because according to Jesus, you can have plenty of money. It's not about a lack of money. You can have plenty of money but still run your car off the road financially. Because when it comes to money, Jesus actually goes to the heart of what it's all about. And in Matthew 6, 24, he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That word masters in the Greek means one who is in charge by virtue of possession or ownership. And so when Jesus starts speaking to this and he starts speaking to money, he, he, he's saying this, he's saying that this is an issue of possession and ownership. He's basically saying that you can't have two masters. You can only be owned by one or the other. You can only be possessed by one or the other. You can only be owned by a person or an entity. You can't have two people or two entities. You can only have one that has you in their possession. You can only have one master. And so he says, you cannot serve two masters. You would be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he goes on and says, you cannot, in context, you cannot serve both God and money. Or that word money in the Greek virtually means wealth or stuff. So for Jesus, the primary issue in regarding money isn't the money. You see, this is not a message about money. It's a message about mastery, control, and ownership. You see, do you have money or does money have you? Do you own it or does it own you? Do we possess it and use it or does it possess and use us? See, the reason we need guardrails around this is because money is what is, and what it promises is the chief competitor for your heart and for my heart. You see, God, Jesus says here, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You notice that he doesn't say you cannot serve God and the devil. And in fact, in Scripture, not once does God say that the devil is a master. What God is saying here is that there's two masters in this world that are after your heart. One is God, 
and one is money. And you can't serve both. You serve one or you serve the other. You see, what God is trying to show us here and what Jesus is trying to say here is that this is a heart issue. It's not even about money. It's about who's in ownership of your life. Without guardrails, um, money is the number one competitor of ownership over yours and over my heart with God. It's the thing that competes with God the most for our hearts. And without guardrails, whether you have a little money or you have lots of money, you will veer off a cliff of either consumption or you'll veer off into the wall of hoarding. Why? Because consumption is uncontrolled desire that just consumes, 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 upgrade, upgrade, upgrade all the time. And the other hoarding is uncontrolled fear that you don't have enough. I don't have, what if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough? I hoard it, I hoard it. What if I don't have enough? And the root cause of either being a consumer or being a hoarder of these things is absolutely the same. And the root cause of both these issues is greed. Greed is the root cause whether you consume or whether you hoard. Why? Because greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that everything I get is for me to consume. It's for me to have. It's the assumption that everything is for my consumption. It's an assumption that if it's in my hand and then if it's in my bank account, then it's for me. It's an assumption that it's all for my consumption. And if I choose out of the goodness of my heart, if I have a little bit left over to give to someone or give to the tsunami relief or give to Tear Fund or World Vision or whatever, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do that really slowly so that God notices as I give that little bit that I have left over after I've consumed everything else on myself. You consume now, which is spending, or you consume later, which is hoarding. It's for me now, or it's for me later. It's still greed. And when you live that way, the problem is you're living as if there's, God doesn't exist. You're living if, if there is no life but this life right now. And if you believe there is no more to this life than what you're experiencing right now, then you dare not live your life now driven by, you will live your life driven by consumption and hoarding if you don't believe that there's more to this life than what you're going through right now. And here's the crazy thing, whether we are a follower of Christ or we're not a follower of Christ, when we start to go through financial ruin, when we start to go through financial problems, the first thing that people do, whether they follow Christ or they don't follow Christ, is they do this, God help! The first thing that we do is we start to pray and we ask God to help in our finances because we're worried about where we're going and what our finances are going to look at. And here's the thing, when you pray to him about your finances, then you are inviting him into, you're inviting him to get involved in your money. In reality, when we cry out to God because we're in financial ruin or in financial difficulty because of the decisions that we made, really what we're saying to God is, hey God, I chose the wrong master, and I now need you to come in and become the master 
become the one who has my heart and help me out of this. And here's the crazy thing about all of it. Why do we wait to invite him in until everything's gone bad? Why do, why, do we, why do we wait until things go wrong before we ask him to come in, before we invite him? Why do we wait till there's a problem before we invite him? What, why wouldn't we invite him to come in before there's a problem? Why wouldn't we invite him to come in and be the master now of our finances rather than waiting until we've made a mess of things? Here's the thing. You are mastered by money if you live this way. If you live, save, give, you're mastered by money. If live is your first priority, then you're going to spend all your money on me. I'm going to live and I'm going to spend my money on me. Second thing, you're going to save in case you need some money to spend on me. And then third, if I have some left over after looking after me, then I'll give to someone else. So it's me first, me second, and everybody else third. If you're mastered by money, that's how you live. Me first, me second, and everyone else third. And if you live this way, you are being mastered because you are living as if nothing else matters in life but the here and the now. And the problem is, is that this is how the world lives. This is how they were living at the time when Jesus is speaking this. And Jesus actually comes along and he says, if you want me to be the master of your life, because that's what this is about, if you want me to be the master of your life, you have to live by my ways. And what he does is he flips that. When you're mastered by money, you live, you save, you give. But when you master your money, you give first, you save second, and you live third. And I want to tell you, this works, and it works because Jesus says it does, and he made it work, and I'm telling you, it works. Why? Because this is not about me, and it's not about the church and what it needs. This is about following Jesus. He's saying, if you want me to be first in your heart, then, then this is how it's got to be. It's got to be give first, it's got to be save second, and it's got to be live third. And I'm telling you, ever since Trinity and I started to live this way, where we give first, we save second, and we live third, our life has been richer, our finances have never been better. Why? Because we're starting to live by the principles that God has established. And here's the thing, the reason why God sets us up this way, the reason why Jesus says that this is the way that we should live, and we're going to look at that really shortly, the reason is, is because I don't want you, and God doesn't want you to be mastered by your money. God doesn't want you to be ruled by your income. God doesn't want you to be ruled by money, because life does, is not equal to stuff. Stuff does not mean that you have a great life. The amount of stuff you have is not who you are. People who live as if life equals stuff live as if there is no tomorrow. And no matter what you have, you're still discontent because no amount of stuff will ever make you content because it's an appetite that just can never be filled. And so you'll just get more stuff and then you'll just get more stuff and you'll never be fulfilled, and you'll never be satisfied, because your appetite just keeps wanting more, and more, and more, 
and more. When you are driven by your appetites, whether it be around finances or any other area in your life, when you're driven by your appetites, unhealthy things happen. If I'm driven by my appetite for KFC, seven days a week, three times a day, unhealthy things will start to happen as if I don't have enough of an unhealthy thing happening already. For all of our lives, money and stuff is going to compete to be first in your life. For your whole entire life, money and stuff is going to compete to be first in your life. It competes for yours and it competes for my heart. And I don't want money to win with you or with me and your heavenly father doesn't want money to win either. I don't want you and me to prioritize money over our marriages, to prioritize money over our children, to prioritize money over our health. I've seen that too often, where people are just so pursuing the dollar that they sacrifice their marriage, their health, their family, their children along the way. I don't want us to be slaves to consumption. It's not that I don't want you to have stuff. God wants you to have stuff. He just doesn't want the stuff to have you. It's not that God doesn't want you to have money. Being poor doesn't help anybody. God's not about that. God wants you to prosper. He just doesn't want it to rule you. He wants to rule your heart. And he goes on and he says this in verse 31 after he says you can't serve two masters. It's God or it's money. He goes on and he says, So do not worry. Do not worry saying, what will I eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? In other words, Jesus is saying, I know you worry about these things. I know that you worry about how you're going to survive in life. I know that you worry about this stuff, but I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to worry about that. In light of what I've just shared, if you can put your life in the right priority order of give, save, and live, then you won't have to worry about that stuff because I'll take care of you. Because when you worry, worry, worry about the future, what happens is when you constantly worry about where you are going to end up, what happens is you close your hands and you close your heart. And as followers of Christ, we can't live with closed hands and closed hearts. He goes on and he says this after he tells them not to worry. He goes on and he says, for even the pagans run after these things. And you might be like, what's a pagan? Pagan was a Jewish word that they used describing people that followed all sorts of gods. So they had gods for everything under the face of the sun. Um, back in those days, you know, God of the fish, God of the land, God of the sky, God of the toilet, God of, God of everything. There's just gods, gods, gods. And what the pagans used to do is they used to do particular things or make particular sacrifices to try and manipulate the gods into blessing them. But the problem is, is the gods were never real gods. They're just idols. And so nothing ever worked for them. And, and so the, they were mean and they were cruel and those gods never ever gave back to them. But they'd do all these things and do all these actions to try and make this God do what they hoped it to do. And he's saying, hey, hey, I don't want you to worry about this stuff. I don't want you to worry about any of that. 
the pagans, all those that follow gods that aren't the one and true God, they do that. They run after these things. And here's the thing, and your heavenly Father, he says, knows that you need them. He knows that you need them. He knows that you need those things. And here's the thing, here's the question we've got to come to ourselves. If we believe that he's a good God and he's a good father and a good heavenly father and he knows that you need these things, my question for you and I is, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that he knows what we need? Do we really believe that he's provider? Do we really believe that if your heavenly father knows what you need, here's the question, Do you need to worry when he knows what you need if you can trust him? If he's the master of your life and your trust is in him and not in your money, then do we really need to worry if we really believe this? I just want to tell you, once you wrap your head around this and your belief around that God knows what you need, You won't live with closed hands and closed hearts. You'll live with open hands and open hearts. And so Jesus says all this stuff. He says, man, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money, but it's not about money. It's about your heart. It's about who's owning, who's the owner, who's the one that's ruling, who's the one who's mastering your heart. This is what it's all about. And I don't want you to worry about all this other stuff like everybody else does, because I know what you need and you can trust me that I will look after you because I'm your heavenly father. And he says, so I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to let money be your master. I want to be your master. I don't want you to worry. I know that you need all those things. And then he goes, but. He's basically saying instead of worrying, instead of hoarding, instead of consuming, this is what I want you to do, but seek first. In other words, reprioritize, reorder, rearrange his king, your life for his kingdom and his righteousness. Seeks first. Don't, don't do all this stuff, but seek first. Change your priorities. Reorder your life. Rearrange your life to make his kingdom first and his righteousness first. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, I want you to seek my father's kingdom first. That's the priority. Get that first in your heart. This is about mastery. It's about ownership. Seek his kingdom first. And here's the thing about our father's kingdom is our father's kingdom is an other's first kingdom. It's not a me first kingdom. To follow Jesus is to follow, is to live an other's first life. Because God is an other's first God who is building an other's first kingdom. God's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. And he explained that to his disciples in in Mark 10, 42, when he said to them, Jesus, he called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, he says, you know that these people use their power selfishly and they abuse their power to their own benefit. You know that that's how these guys rule. You know that's how they live their life. This is how the world works. There are those in charge that tell everybody else what to do. 
And then he goes on and he says this in verse 43, he says, not so with you. You know that that's how that works out there? And that's how all those other guys do it? And that might be how the world does it, but not so with you. You're not going to do it that way. You want to be part of me and you want to be part of God's kingdom? Then this is not what you're going to do. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. You, you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. And so what is Jesus saying here? Because the disciples previous to him saying this were asking how to be great in the kingdom of God. How to be, you know, like, can I sit at your right hand and at your left hand and be in charge with you? And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. The kingdom of God doesn't work like the world works. It's not about people that are in charge, abusing their authority, being selfish for their own benefits. If you want to be first, you must become the slave of all. Great in God's kingdom is not about trying to get into first place. It's about being in last place and finding a way from last place to serve everyone else along the way of your journey of life. And in verse 45, he says this, for even, for even the son of man, in other words, the one that you are worshiping, the one that you are serving, the one that you are following, the one of whose example we are trying to become, the one that we're becoming more and more like, as the scripture says, from glory to glory and strength to strength, we're becoming more and more like him. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, don't do it how the world does it. That's not how you're going to do it. You're going to serve by being last and you're going to take care of everyone along the way because that's what I did. And only a wee while later in the story, Jesus in the story is on his way to Jerusalem. Why was he going to Jerusalem? Because he's going to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the whole entire world. He's about to do for the whole world what he is asking the whole world now to do for one another. He just did for the whole world what he wants us to do for one another. See, selflessness, if we live a selflessness life, everybody did that, it would solve everything in our world. Selflessness would solve everything, everything. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom, the selfless, others first kingdom and his righteousness. And then it goes on to say in that scripture, and all these things, what shall I eat? What shall we drink? What shall I wear? Money, the need, provision, all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, friend, if you would just understand that money is trying to own you, it's trying to master you, but if you'd let Jesus master you, and if you would let him, uh, if you'd live your life financially as he teaches us to do, to give, to save, and then live, then you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear, because you're going to seek first the kingdom of God. You're going to have a selfless life, a selflessness life. You're going to put others first. You're going to make sure that others are taken care of. And because you're doing that, then, then the Bible says that all those things that you're worried about, all those things that you need, all those things that you wish that you had will be added to you when you do it this way. 
because you're saying to God that you're going to put him first in your finances, and then by putting him first in your finances, you're now inviting him into your finances, and because you're saying to God, you're first, and I'm second, God's like, man, that's the combination I can work with. That's how my kingdom operates, and that's what I'm all about, and then he injects himself into your world, and then things start to change. Why? Because he did it in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave selflessly others first so that you and I could know him. That's the kingdom. You see, this, this scripture is not about how to pay off your debt or how to do this or do that or how to save for your future. Jesus is saying at the core of your finances is not debt and it's not how to save for your future and it's not your portfolio. It's about who has your heart. Because you can't have two masters. Only one thing can own you when it's either him or it's your money. And he says the kingdom doesn't work that way. The kingdom is others first kingdom. Welcome to the kingdom of God. And when you function as the kingdom of God, by putting others first and being selfless and making sure that God is first in your finances, then he said this, I'll take care of you and I'll make sure all those things that you want and you need, I'll make sure they're added to you. When you function in this combination of putting me first and yourself second, then that allows me to come. It allows me to move and to add all those things that you're worried about to your life. You see, the way you make sure you have your money and your money doesn't have you is you seek first the kingdom and your finances. See, this has never been about God wanting your money. And it's never been about the church wanting your money. And it's never been about me wanting your money. This is about God wanting your heart. This is all about God wanting your heart. And God said there's two masters in this world. It's either him or it's money. It's not the devil. It's him or it's money. That money is the thing that competes with you for your heart with God. And God's saying, hey, I want, I want you to put me first. If you put me first in your finances, if you put me first in your finances, then I'll take care of you. I'll make sure all these things are added to you. And not only that, you'll be able to take care of others. You'll be able to bless others. And that's why the Bible says this, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And anyone that's a parent understands that when it comes to birthdays or Christmas, that the look on your kid's face as you give them this incredible present that you thought about is way better than some homemade toothpick thing that they give you. Hopefully you're getting what I'm saying here. You know those homemade presents when they're two or three years of age, which they give you and you don't even know what it is to start with, but you just turn around and go, oh, this is amazing. Oh, I've always wanted something like this. And the minute they're not looking, it just goes in the bin because it's the most weirdest, dumbest thing you've ever been given. But you don't care. 
Because all you care about is that how their face lights up. When you give them what you're giving them, you actually don't care about what you're receiving. And here's the thing. My God operates this way, that when you look after others, you're actually looking after Him. Because He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And they said to Him, Lord, when did we do this? He said, what you do for the least of these, you're doing for me. See, you're not, you're not helping the homeless. You're not helping the cancer victims. You, you're not helping the tsunami victims. You're helping Jesus. Because we understand from last week that every single person on the face of this planet is created in the image of Him. And so he's saying this, man, when you look after them, you're looking after me. And when you look after me, I look after you. But put me first in your finances. And the best way that you can do that is by starting to give into his kingdom. As the scripture teaches us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, that you bring the tithe into his storehouse, the local church, so that there's food in his house. And then test him in this, that he would not open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing upon you that you don't have enough room to contain it. Friend, can I encourage you today? Start giving. Maybe you can't give 10%, but give something. Start putting him first in your finances. Start with give first. Save second. Live last. And I want to tell you, when you, when you start functioning and seeking his kingdom first, then all those things will be added to you. It's just how it works in the kingdom.